Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Brendan Kane, author of 1 Million Followers. And if you want to learn how to explode your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to the show. Today we have an awesome interview coming at you. Again, yes, I know I always say they're awesome, but they are. They're just awesome people. So I'm always happy to highlight how awesome these people are. Uh, today we have a guy named Brendan Kane. Brendan is a growth hacker who's built apps, platforms, and campaigns for Fortune 500 companies, brands, and celebrities like Taylor Swift, Rihanna, Katie Couric, Charles Barkley, Michael Strahan, and more. If that is not something that gets your attention, I am not sure um, what will. But Brendan and I have a lot of great conversation in here because he believes that uh, building relationships is one of the most important things that anybody can do, which as you guys know, I am a firm believer in that, which is why Build Your Network even exists. So Brendan and I have a lot of things that we talk about here in the episode about networking. And we also get into how he booked Taylor Swift as a client, which you'll definitely want to hear. And then we hear his best advice on how to get your foot in the door at some of these meetings. Like where do you even start to get in a meeting with some of these people and then how to capitalize once you're in the door. So Brent and I have a lot, a lot of stuff that we talk about in this episode. And it's going to be jam packed full of value. But before we get into that, 
as most of you know, my network has absolutely exploded in the last year and a half. I didn't really know anybody before about a year and a half ago. And when people ask me how I've been able to do it, the number one answer that I give them is my podcast. If I did not start Build Your Network, there is zero chance I would know as many people as I do now. It is the perfect credibility vehicle and value-adding excuse to connect with the people that you want to connect with the most. I highly recommend starting a show, but doing it the right way. Last I heard, about 90% of podcasters never make it past episode seven. So if you want to be on the right side of that statistic and do what I did, hire a coach that's been there and done that and can walk you through the whole process. And yes, that is something that I do. In the last few months, I've helped a few people get their shows off the ground, and I'd love to do the same for you. If any of this resonates with you at all, then head over to buildyournetwork.co slash coaching to apply for a spot. I only accept a couple people at a time because I don't want anyone lost in the process. It's a lot of stuff to cover, and I'll only be helping 10 people before I shut this thing down. Look, it's very valuable and it's super time intensive, so I can't do it forever. So be sure to apply over at buildyournetwork.co slash coaching and I will chat with you over there. But for now, here is my chat with Brendan Kane. Brendan, welcome to the show, man. What's going on? Thanks, Travis. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man, of course. Of course, tuning in all the way from West Hollywood, right? Yep, in Los Angeles, sunny California. Yeah, I was going to say, weather's got to be pretty fantastic over there around, around this time, right? Yeah, it's uh, probably around 75, 80 degrees, so I can't complain. Ugh, man, sounds terrible. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> well, cool, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Been it been psyched to get you on here before we hit the record button. We're talking a little bit about how we had a phone conversation a little bit ago. These days, it's crazy just because my interview schedule is so jam-packed with a bunch of just guests all the time. So it's good for me sometimes just to get people on the phone and actually see how we connect before I book an interview with them. You know, So you and I jumped on the phone call, I don't know, a couple months ago now, and I was traveling for a bit. And then you had something with your schedule. And so now it's cool that we're finally able to hop onto this. You've had a lot of experience in a lot of different things, but the most recent thing that you're really excited about is your book, right? One Million Followers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I've been working on it for the past year and it was just recently published. And the premise of the book is based on a case study that I ran on myself where I took over 15 years of experience of being in digital and essentially applied it to myself because I'd worked with some of the largest celebrities, brands, and corporations in the world. And that's great for everybody. What about people starting from scratch? What about people starting from zero? So I thought, okay, well, the only way to really know what was possible was to run an experiment. So I took 30 days to run a a test of myself where I was able to apply everything I learned to build a million followers in 100 countries in less than 30 days. So the book breaks down that system that I was able to develop to achieve that. In addition to it, it includes passages and chapters from some of the top thought leaders that I'm partnered with on how they were able to achieve tremendous growth online. Got it. Who is this really... Like if you had to pick somebody, who would you say this would be for? Like the person... This is for the person that's just getting started with the whole thing, or maybe they have a successful business or something, but they've never really done anything online, or is it kind of a combination? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it applies to people across the board. So it's amazing the response that I've gotten. I've gotten responses from major CEOs of companies that are starting to apply our systems into their workforce, from celebrities that are looking to increase their overall following in addition to people that are just starting from scratch. So really the heart of it, it's about how I generated a million followers, but it's really the system of content testing and optimization, which being in social and being in digital, like that's the only way you really succeed is if you nail your content formats, your content themes and stories to really create an environment for your customer base, for your fan base, for your listeners 
to essentially share your message for you. So the message is applying from just people starting from scratch all the way up to people at the highest possible levels. So 1millionfollowers.com, that's one spelled out, 1millionfollowers.com. Head on over there to grab a copy of Brendan's book, which we will definitely be referring to throughout the show. But right now, Brendan, I kind of want to take the conversation a little bit back because I'm always fascinated with people's stories. I'm always intrigued to hear how somebody went from the what culture tells us to do and go to do this and go here and make sure you go to school, get, get good grades and all this stuff. And this is what leads to success. And I find that most people don't really have that straight and narrow path, so to speak. And so you got started into all this kind of stuff at your earlier, in the earlier part of your career, working with a company like Lakeshore Entertainment, which is a huge production company out in LA. How did you get started with all that, man? Like, What, what was it like growing up for you? Was this always something that you were planning on doing in the future? Was it just a series of pivots that eventually led to what you're doing? Yeah, I think it was... To me, it's interesting because when I look back on my childhood specifically, I was an entrepreneur before I even knew what an entrepreneur was. So one of the stories I relate to that my parents tell me, because I only have vague memories of it, is that as a kid, I would take my toys that I wasn't using and then I would go around the neighborhood and knock on neighbors' doors and try and sell them to the parents of kids that I knew. And these parents were then calling my parents being like, what is your son doing? And I didn't even know what he was doing. I was just trying to, I think, make money at the time. But looking back on it, it's like I, from an early on stage, I, was, I had an entrepreneurial spirit burnt into me. Yeah. But I don't think I really recognized that until much later in my career. So how I got started in all this is I actually went to film school in college to learn the business side of film because I wanted to produce movies because my first love and passion has been entertainment movies and television. And when I got to film school, I quickly realized that they don't teach you anything about business in film school. So I figured the best way to learn about business is actually start your own. And at the time, the most cost-efficient way, and it still holds true today, was to start internet companies. So I started a few internet companies while I was going to college to really learn and experiment about what it would take to actually create a business and the principles of founding a business and running a business. Hmm. And then when I moved out to LA to pursue a career in film, that's when the entertainment industry started to wake into digital after the dot-com bust. So I just looked at my situation and, and the fact that there was all these other people out there that wanted to be producers. There was tens of thousands of people that I was competing against, but there was very few people that had a firm understanding of social, of digital, of technology. And there's a lot of high-profile people, actors, directors, producers, that were asking questions on how you could basically leverage these platforms and mm. leverage this medium to get your content, to get your movies, get people to show up at the box office. So I basically had just leveraged that knowledge that I gained in college and creating those internet companies to forge connections and projects in the film industry. And that's where I really started off. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, that's amazing. Going back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, obviously entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial spirit was kind of something that was in you from the beginning. Do you think that that is something that's born or something that's bred? And can it be bred if you don't think that it can be? I think that there's far smarter people that can answer that question than me in terms of the science of it. Yeah, I would say from all the people that I've interacted with, it seems innate to what you're born with. I think there's a big part of that, but also I've experienced a lot of people and I'm sure that you have as well, that just the environment that they were put in just really forced them to really get out there and to make something happen. Whether they, they were growing up in the ghetto or growing up in an abusive family, they had their backs were put up against the wall hmm. and they were just forced to find a way to make it work for them to get out of the situations they were in. So to me, I think that a lot of that is instilled in us. And then other for other people, that environment that people are put in just really forces them to make a strong decision to be like, I have to get myself out of this. I have to get my brothers or sisters. I have to get my family. So I've seen it on both sides of the table. And it's really inspiring to meet those people every day that are truly transforming the world based upon the situations and experiences that they have been in. Hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said about that. And like you said, there's probably a bunch of people that could talk about it more uh, scientifically than you or I could. But that's basically what I've found is like a lot of people have that bug, just that itch that they just were born with. But I think that those are just the people that have the natural tendency to go that route. Doesn't mean that other people can't learn it. You know what I mean? I think that some people limit themselves because they're not that way because they weren't born like that. So they have a buddy that was born that way that goes around the neighborhood selling their used toys and stuff, but they were never like that. So they look at that and they go, well, business is good for him, but it's not really good for me because that's just not my personality. And they kind of write it off and create their own story within themselves to say that they can't do something just because that's not how they were born. And I also don't think that that's the way to go about doing it either. I think you bring up a, a great point because one of the things that I always speak to people about when they're asking, should I start a business? Should I be an entrepreneur? Is you really have to ask yourself, do you have that built into you? Because being an entrepreneur is extremely different than working for a corporation or for a brand. And one of the, the key attributes that I've seen with successful entrepreneurs and for people that ultimately don't cut out in being in that environment is, are you okay with failure? Because if you don't have that ingrained with you that I'm not going to let failure get me down, that I'm just going to keep pushing, I'm going to keep trying until I figure out the answer, figure out a way to make it happen. Like There's no way that you're going to be able to succeed in, as an entrepreneur because everybody looks at these huge, great success stories of a Mark Cuban that's generating billions of dollars or a Mark Zuckerberg. 
but nobody really looks at the underlying structure or the strategies that they took to get there, all the trials, the tribulations that they yeah. went to have that success. Yeah, definitely. I, I saw something the other day on Richard Branson or Donald Trump or somebody that that just, it was just so many ups and downs, right? And that's just literally what the journey is about. It's all about the ups, but it is also all about the downs and being able to remain optimistic, happy, fulfilled during the times when everything's going awry and you're not really sure what's coming up next. But that is a huge rabbit hole that we could probably dive into for a long time. So I want to kind of get back to more of your story. So how old were you when you started working at Lakeshore and how did you get involved with that kind of a prestigious company? Yeah. So with Lakeshore Entertainment, I think I was 22 or 23 at the time. And the the way that I got into that was my father, who was a corporate real estate attorney, actually knew the founder of Lakeshore because he was originally from Chicago, but and made a lot of money in corporate real estate and then decided he wanted to get into movies. So I got that connection that way. But the way that I started out and the way that anybody starts out in the entertainment industry, no matter who you are, is you start out at the bottom. So I started out as a PA, making coffee, creating copies of scripts, doing deliveries for people. So that's how I got in. But I started at the bottom floor and had to work my way up like everybody else. Gotcha. Gotcha. So a connection is how you got in. <laughs> Just everything funny I do, how that works out. Yeah. Everything I do is connection-based. It's, it's how I've had success over the course of my career is is just forging strong connections and providing value to those connections. Yeah. Can you kind of dive a little bit deeper into that, into what you just said? Like, Tell us about a time when you did something like that that led you to a bigger moment of success. Yeah. So first off, just at a conceptual high level, the only reason that I'm successful in connecting with celebrities, getting celebrity clients, major CEOs, or people that want to work with me is it just comes down to one word. And it's just value. Mm. Is how can I provide value to that other person? So for example, people want to know, well, how did I get Taylor Swift as a client? So the way that actually happened was I was doing a joint venture with MTV at the time. So I was licensing technology to them. And they, the executive that I was doing the deal with says, hey, do you want to meet this young girl, Taylor Swift? And this was six or seven years ago. So I didn't really know who she was at the time. She was just mm. starting to uh, grow her career. Yeah. So I said, sure, because I'm always open to meet new people, especially people that are talented in entertainment, music, or whatever facet of business that you're in. Mm-hmm. And I had to go through a pretty intense process to actually get the meeting with Taylor Swift. So the way it went is I first met with the manager, had to convey the value to the manager in the terms that he understood of how we could benefit Taylor. Then I had to meet with the father, convey the value to the father, communicate and connect with him. Then I had to meet with the mother do the same process over. And then finally, I was able to sit down with Taylor. And by that time, I was able to piece together the stories from each of those individuals, from the manager, the father, and the mother of the way to talk to Taylor, what was interesting to her, what was valuable to her. And mm-hmm. what I saw is that she was... what First off, what few people realize is that she grew her fan base one by one herself. She was very hands-on. Like mm-hmm. She didn't have a huge record label. She didn't have millions of dollars in marketing budget. So I knew she was very hands-on and I knew they had a big problem. And the problem was at the time that they had a website, a Taylor Swift official website that was written in flash code and would take up to 48 hours to make a change. And she couldn't dynamically change anything. Wow. So I had built a platform at the time that literally you could start from a blank white screen and drag and drop anything on the screen and create a brand new website. So literally in the meeting with her, I had built a website in less than a few hours, a brand new one. And I showed her how she could drag and drop anything on the screen. 
And I knew that that was going to get her creative juices flowing. So I went in with a compelling story to her of how I was going to provide value to her. And again, how I was providing value to the manager, how I was providing value to the father, how I was providing value to the mother, because that's the only way that you close those types of deals, those big deals, because anybody at that level, they're getting approached a hundred times a day and they're getting approached from the mindset of how can I get something out of this person versus how can I give something to this person? (laughs) <laughs> oh man, that's um glad glad we're finally able to connect on the show, man, because that is literally everything that this podcast stands for is look, the bottom line is connections are what allow us to capitalize on all of the things that we've learned and grown in in our entire lives. So you need to be competent, you need to have skill sets, you need to have knowledge, you had to you gotta have the what, but the who is what allows you to capitalize on those things. And somewhere out there, there's somebody that is probably worse than you are at what you do but getting paid more for cooler opportunities because they know the right people. And so the real way to network, and then that's why the show was built, is, is that I saw that there that it's undeniably important to build a network and to grow your inner circle. But so many people avoid doing that because they have this fear that they're going to become that guy that just annoys everybody in their phone book. And when he calls or texts, you know he wants something. So there's so many people doing it the wrong way. So they either just don't do it at all or they go way too far to the other side and become networking Ned um, is what I call him. But there's a happy medium in the middle where you build real relationships with real people and you come from a genuine place of adding value to others without the expectation of receiving anything in return. And that to me is right in the sweet spot. Can you talk into that for a second, Brennan? Yeah, I agree 100% with everything that you just said. To avoid... And I hate the term networking. The reason I hate the term networking is because there's such a negative connotation to it Mm -hmm. because there's so many people out there that are doing it wrong. I look at networking as building relationships. So any situation that I go into... How am I going to provide value to this person? Not how am I going to extract something out of them? So any situation I go into, I try and understand who is this person? What do they need? How do I need to convey a message to them? How can I provide the most value through either a product or service or just being a genuine person to them and giving them strategic advice or support in any way, shape or form? So I always go into this situation first, understand who are you talking to? Who is this person? What are they feeling right now? What are they going through? Hmm. And then once you can have a, an understanding of what they're about, then you can speak to them in a way that you can offer value, or then you can speak to them in a way that your product or service can offer value. So one of the biggest issues I see in business development and sales, and I've had a lot of success in that, that world, is most people are going from the standpoint is how do I sell you my product or service versus how do I actually provide value through my product or service? And it may sound something that's very similar, but it's completely two different approaches. Like at this point in my career, I never walk into a meeting with a deck. I never walk into a meeting with a presentation because that just gets you uh, confined in a small box of how you're presenting yourself, how you're presenting your value instead of really understanding who you are. Hmm. One of the other biggest mistakes that I see people make is they spend 90% of the time talking and only 10% of the time listening. <laughs> when they're listening, they're actually thinking about what they're going to say next. Versus yeah. People will tell you when they're in a meeting with me, sometimes people think I'm spacing out because I will just literally take everything in and I won't say something unless I have something valuable to say. And I just that was instilled into me very early on by my father that always said, think before you speak. And I think that that's a lesson that everybody could take away from. Split that paradigm on its head. 
Instead of speaking 90% of the time, listen 90% of the time. You'll have a tremendous impact of when you walk into the room and understand who somebody is and then be able to articulate value to that person. And it forges these, these really strong connections because you're doing the opposite of a majority of people out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true, man. I've had so much stuff to say on that. First of all, when you went back to when you said, I don't like the term networking because it has so many negative connotations. And then you said, I like to look at networking as relationship building. That is literally what I try to teach people on a daily basis is that people tend to segment those two things, like compartmentalize, like, well, if I go to the networking mixer at the cocktail lounge, that's networking. But if I go to Buffalo Wild Wings with a couple of my friends, that's not networking. Like that's just building relationships with people. The thing is, it should be the same. The problem is that when people go to a networking mixer, they treat it like an in-person cold calling event. Like you're there to sell your product on the first point of contact since that's like ever a thing. <laughs> you know, like the only the only time I've ever done that was when I was doing a bunch of door-to-door sales. And that's a totally different context than a networking mixer. And so stop looking at networking, you know, people look at them like they're two separate occasions instead of just treating everybody that they meet like a regular person and just being there for people and looking for ways to add value and building relationships with people instead of quote unquote networking. That was like the biggest thing that I took away from what you were just talking about. But there's so many other points that I'm sure we could really dive into. But let me ask you this question before we go too much further, because it's one I ask every guest that comes on the show. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? I would say who you know is critically important because it gets you in the room with people. It creates opportunities. But what you know is just as important because I can get in front of anybody. I can teach somebody to get in front of anybody. That's the easy part. It's what do you do with that opportunity when you're there? So again, what it comes down to is when people get in front of a famous person, get in front of a CEO or get in front of their boss or anybody at a high level, nine times out of 10, they're thinking in their head, how can I get what I need from this person versus how am I going to go into that situation? Take what I'm really great at, what I'm best at, what I'm world-class at, and offer that as value to this person so I can really forge a strong connection. Yeah. I will say there are certain situations where if you're a trust fund kid, or like in my case, the perfect analogy is my case. So my father got me my first job in the entertainment industry, but I started out as a PA. And I ultimately got promoted within six months because of the value that I could provide versus other PAs I was working with stayed PAs for years hmm. because I took a different approach of how am I going to provide unique value? What am I best at? What are the skill sets that I have that I can offer to the people around me that will forge a strong connection or strong value to them? So yes, who you know is critically important, but I feel like you can manufacture who you know. Like You can get in front of people if you know the right ways, you know the right strategies. It's just what do you do with that situation when you're presented with it? What do you do when you're in front of a CEO? What do you do if you're in front of a celebrity or somebody you're really trying to connect with? How do you take advantage of that opportunity? Because getting in front of them and not taking advantage of that opportunity, it's just going to be a missed, a missed right. play. You're not right. going to get the value. You're not going to get the connection. You're not going to get the project. You're not going to get the job. What are some strategies to get in front of the people that you want to get in front of? So the strategy that has really allowed me to have a tremendous amount of success is I don't spend time just networking. I'm very strategic about the people that I'm connecting with. So what I'm looking for is what's called super connectors. I'm not the most connected person in the world, but I know all the people that know everybody. So what I do is I foster those strategic relationships. I find the people 
that know all the people I want to know. Then I provide value to them. I show and demonstrate that I want to engage with them. I want to work with them. I want to partner with them. However, that relationship is going to unfold. And then through that, you connect with one person. That one person can connect you with a circle of huge influential people. So that's what I focus on. And one example is, so I was doing deals with MTV. So I was licensing technology to MTV. And through that partnership with MTV, I got Taylor Swift as a client. I got introduced to Rihanna through uh, Rock Nation through the MTV partnership. I got Mm. Vice Magazine as a client. So that's the approach that I take is who are the people that you know that know everybody else? And how can you provide value to them? How can you forge these strong connections so that they're going to want to introduce you to all the people in their inner circle? When you say you got these people as clients, what exactly were you doing for them? Yeah. So in the situation for MTV, I licensed two technology platforms. The first one was an advertising technology that monetized consumer-to-consumer communication through social networks. And this was way back when when MySpace was the predominant player. Mm -hmm. So I created a technology that could essentially monetize all of the free media that was taking place on people's profiles. Like people were putting movie trailers, music videos, posters of products like Nike posters on the profiles, and MySpace wasn't monetizing it. Mm -hmm. The person posting it wasn't making any money off of it. So I created that platform took it to MTV through a connection I had at Paramount and licensed that to them and created several iterations of that platform, one of which was for Vice Magazine because few people realized that MTV actually gave Vice the initial funding to to create their video content arm. Then from there, I created a website building application that I mentioned earlier in the Taylor Swift story that could dynamically write code for you. So again, we could build a site for a major musician or celebrity in less than six hours And MTV then started introducing us to all of these professional athletes, musicians, people on TV and film, because they wanted to foster a stronger connection with them. So those are the two technologies that I built uh, in that capacity. Was this all when you were working for Lakeshore or was this after that? So at Lakeshore, it's interesting. So I think it was two years in, I came up with the idea for the advertising technology platform and I brought it to the CEO of the company who was running all of Lakeshore, who's one of the most prominent movie producers. Uh, He actually produced the movie Million Dollar Baby, which won an Academy Award. And I presented him with the idea. And he's like, okay, I'll finance the prototype. So I actually became partners with the CEO of the company. And I think I was just coming out of being a PA and just starting to do the digital work with them. Hmm. But I went from being somebody who was making his coffee to getting him to invest in the technology platform in a very short period of time. So... Once I licensed that technology to MTV, then I left Lakeshore and started pursuing that full-time. So something I really like about that too, though, is that you were willing to do what it took to get in front of the right people. Meaning like if you didn't have, if you didn't take that job working at a, like when you were doing that type of work, did you really enjoy getting people's coffee or was it more like I'm enjoying the environment? So you bring up a great point. Yes, you have to put in the time and the hard work to forge strong connections with people. When I first started out as a PA, I hated making copies. I hated doing deliveries. I hated making coffee for people, but I knew that was a part of the process that I had to go through to prove myself. So one of the the great stories that allowed... Real quick too, definitely bookmark that story, but I want to touch on that for a second because I think it's important that 
people, especially coming out of school and college and, and, or even high school, they put way too much value on like the pay of the job or the job description or the title or their office or their nameplate. They put way too much weight on that and not enough weight on, will I learn stuff while here? And will I gain good connections and learn from people that I want to connect with while I'm here as well? I think those are two really important questions people need to ask themselves before they take a job that are completely separate from how much do I get paid and what's my job description? Do I have a cool title? Like, look, you can make up your own title. The title doesn't really matter in most cases. <laughs> what matters is the experience that you're getting to make yourself more valuable in the future and the connections to the people that are going to be able to mentor you and help you along in your journey, which is obviously something that you put a heavy weighted value on when you got started, Brendan, which is why you're in the position that you're in now instead of being, you know, in maybe starting off at a job that might have paid more and had a better title, but without those connections and without that knowledge and training that you're now taking into the rest of your career. Anyway, I wanted just to kind of touch on that, but go ahead and go that story. Yeah, but first off, I just want to say I agree with you 100%. And I'll admit to you and be authentic in the fact that in the beginning, I got caught up in the titles. I got caught up in how much money am I going to make? But in the long run, when you look at it, you can't make decisions based off of that. Because at the end of the day, you've got to love what you're doing. You've got to love the people that you're working with because that's where the real growth happens. If you focus on what you're truly passionate about, what you're really best at, what you're meant to do in this world, that's where the success, that's where the growth will come from. And I'm at a point in my life where the money doesn't really matter to me. It's really about how do I spend every day doing what I love? And I know the money will come. I know the success will come. But getting started out, coming out of college, going to school, choose the direction that you think resonates most with you, that you feel in your heart versus, oh, I need to compare myself to everybody else. I need to get a job with this specific salary or this specific job title because ultimately you're going to burn yourself out. And you're not going to ultimately achieve the level of success that you're looking for. Or even if you do achieve that level of success and generate all that money, the underlying foundation of happiness just won't be there. And it all be for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So getting back to, I don't know if you remember the story that you were going to tell before I rudely interrupted you, <laughs> but... Uh, it was a great tangent. I, I really okay. like that. Okay, great. Cool, cool. But if you remember that story, go for it. If not, we'll kind of move to a different part of the conversation. Yeah, I remember the story. So Perfect. just starting out as a PA in the entertainment industry, Again, I was stuck in this daily grind of making coffee for people, making copies. And I knew I needed to get out of that. And I knew the only way to do that was to really provide value to somebody or forge a connection and show and demonstrate that I could do more than that. So I remember that I was delivering copies one day into the CEO of the studio's office. And I heard in the background, the CEO basically saying, why don't these PAs come in and talk to me and pick my brain and ask me questions? I have all this knowledge and nobody's taking advantage of it. And it, it may sound strange, but I've seen older people, when they get into their careers and have had a tremendous amount of success, they really want to give back. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, this is my opportunity. So I did what I did every single day after work is I would literally stand outside of the entrance of the office and I would wait for him to leave and go to his car. And every day that I could get him that he wasn't on the phone, I would never interrupt him. So maybe like two or three days a week, I would actually get, get to walk into a car, to his car, ask him questions, and he would ask me questions. It was just about forging that relationship and going back and forth so he could really feel me out and yeah. see if I had something to offer to him. And the first level of value was just showing that I appreciated all the experience that he had, all the knowledge that he had, and really showing that I really admired what he'd achieved and I wanted to learn from him. That was enough to just get his attention. 
Then that he started asking me questions about what I was interested in, what I was working on. And that's what initially led me to becoming the head or starting the first digital division at that studio. Wow. That's crazy. It just seems so obvious and yet it's not at all, (laughs) you know, because people are too focused on punching the clock and going home at five instead of sticking around maybe a little bit longer. And that's what I like about that story though, is like you, some days you knew that you weren't actually going to be able to talk to him, but it didn't matter. You still stuck around and waited to see if maybe this time he's not on the phone. And this time I can forge a connection. Whereas like some people are like, bro, like, you know that he's probably going to be on the phone. So we should probably just go get something to eat instead of sitting around waiting for him to leave the building. But you, instead of thinking that way, thought, how can I just spend more time with this guy, cultivate connection and learn from him? And then ultimately ended up leading to your first company that you licensed technology to work with some of the world's biggest brands and celebrities and all that kind of stuff. So man, so, so much great stuff there. What during that time was like your favorite project that you worked on? The favorite project that I worked on was a movie called Crank with uh, Jason Statham. And it was really a a great opportunity because it was really when I was starting to rise the ranks at the studio and the directors were coming in for meetings and the directors were like these crazy creative people. It was two partners, Brian and Mark. And because I was on the production side of the movie, we got to do a lot of things that normally you wouldn't get to do because Generally, uh, there's the production side and then the distribution side. So on the production side is where you actually make the movie. The distribution side where is where the marketing comes in and the distribution outlets take over. So I got to really collaborate with the directors very early on, on set, working with like Jason and the other actors to create funny, unique content and really think outside the box. So mm-hmm. that was probably the funnest project because first off, their creative minds are just out there. If you haven't seen the movie, check it out because it's just truly unique and and different. It was probably, I think, the first movie where Jason Statham was actually shown in a comedic tone or comedic light. So that was really an eye-opening and fun experience because we could really be creative and try things and and not worry about all the politics of the studio system. Yeah, yeah. So many different projects, I'm sure, that were a lot of fun to work on, but that one sticks out the most in your head. The, uh, coming from uh, Lakeshore, I know that you were also vice president of digital for Paramount. Yeah. Where was that transition? When? How old were you? Like, what happened there? Yeah, so the way that that happened, so I left Lakeshore and built this technology platforms and, and ran that for a few years and then uh, sold out those platforms to my partner at the time. And then went, I had known the head of digital for Paramount for quite some time, all the way back to Lakeshore. She was actually the person that introduced me to MTV and Viacom to license the technology platforms. And we had always been in constant contact and always talking. And I had sat down with her after I had exited those two technology companies. And she's just like, hey, we have this role available for... VP of creative on the digital side, is it something you'd be interested in? And I thought, yeah, I'd always wanted to work with her. I really admired her. So I just decided to take the opportunity and and see if it was the right fit. Ultimately, it turned out it wasn't the right fit for me because it was putting me into that corporate structure. And as we've talked about, I really have that entrepreneurial spirit. And I knew I needed to go back into being an entrepreneur. Gotcha. So when did you leave that? And then what was the thing that you really worked on after your exit from there? So I left uh, probably under a year. I didn't stay for very long. And then I started to get into some high-level advisory work. So I helped build one of the largest social paid optimization firms in the world where we would optimize social spend for Fortune 500 companies and brands. And when I say 
uh, social spend that's on the advertising platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. We were managing those campaigns for huge companies. And when I started with them, there was just like four guys around the table and it helped put some key people in place, like their lead investor, their chief revenue officer, their lead counsel. And from there, the company exploded and grew to about 140 people and managing tens of millions of dollars a year in paid spend. And that in and of itself was a huge business development uh, learning curve as well. Yeah. Would you say that you are mostly, how do I put this? Mostly like a yes man, meaning like if any opportunity comes your way, you're always down to take a look at it. It seems like you've been a part of so many different projects and a few different companies and consulting and all this stuff that most people would have never even thought about or probably some people sitting here going, how do you even get into that? What did you even do? What was the first step? Do you think a lot of it has to do with just being open and hearing people out and building those relationships? I'm of the mindset that I want to be constantly learning things, challenging myself, trying new things. I think that the only way you can grow in business, grow as a person is to be open to opportunities, be open to really learn and see what's out there. If somebody is approaching you with an idea, at least take the time to hear them out. I don't care if it's the garbage man from down the street or a major CEO or a celebrity. I feel like you can always learn something from each opportunity and for each individual. From there, you can determine, do I want to invest more time in a specific direction? And I think what makes me so valuable to the clients I work with is I've taken that mindset over the course of my career. And because in working in digital and technology and business, I've touched every single aspect of it. I understand pretty much everything conceptually from a thousand foot level. So when I work with clients, I can go into any industry or any product or service and craft a solution specifically for them. So you've hit it on the head. I've worked with musicians. I work for movie studios. I'm working with a nanotechnology company right now. I know nothing about nanotechnology, but I'm fascinated with learning and I can still provide value to them because I understand the underlying principles of how to achieve their goals and the success that they're looking for. Hmm. So, and so many things that's, that are fascinating me about your story, but one thing real quick that I just popped into my head, what did you do with the businesses that you were working on when you were coming out of Lakeshore? Do you still own those? Are they still operating or did you kind of lose touch with them after your career went forward? Yeah, both of them aren't, aren't currently operating. The advertising technology, we were just way too early. And it just basically, we had built a lot of it off of MySpace and the openness of the platform. And then when Facebook took over, it was very difficult to reproduce that. And we weren't just seeing the level of scale that we were looking for. Hmm. And then the website building application, we got too invested in the joint venture partnership with our partners. And we're solely reliant on that revenue stream. And ultimately that revenue stream just dried up. And by the time that we were going to make a pivot, there were people like Squarespace and Wix mm-hmm. that were just killing it in terms of marketing. Even right. though we were really the only enterprise player at the time, we weren't focused on marketing because we were so reliant on that strategic partnership that we had that was driving all that revenue. And I can tell you that was a huge learning experience from building businesses. How have you been able to leverage the credibility of the major brands and celebrities that you've worked with through your career in order to book more business? Well, first off, in terms of talking to people and taking meetings, generally the introductions come from either people I've done well for or people make the introduction with the caveat that I've worked with these key players, whether it's a a huge celebrity, a musician, a big corporation. So that's kind of how it's leveraged to start the conversation. But again, only starting the conversation is about 5% of that battle. Just getting in the room 
you have to take advantage of it. You can't just say, oh, I worked with Taylor Swift. I worked with MTV, so hire me or right. talk with me because that just, just doesn't work, especially at the, the level that I'm playing at is I'm always working with top level CEO right. corporations, media companies, celebrities. It's great that I've worked with these people. It gives you a little bit of credibility, but what do you do in the room when you're with that person that conveys that I can provide value, that I can help you reach your business objectives, reach your goals? And that's really kind of how I leverage it. Is there a structure that you stick to in those types of meetings or is it just kind of really off the cuff dependent on the people that are in the room and the company that you're pitching? So when I approach any meeting, I first try and gauge the room. I try and understand who is that person on the other side of the table? What are they currently feeling right now? Do they have a certain facial expression? Are they ignoring what I'm saying? Are they angry? Are they upset? Are they super happy? Are they super open? Do they want to run the conversation? Do they want to talk more? They want me to talk more. So first off, the first five minutes, I'm just trying to play it out and see who these people are. What are the dynamics of this person? How do they like to communicate? How do they not like to communicate? And then from there, I'll craft a strategy specifically around that. So if they just want to run the conversation, then I'm just going to be all ears. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to find those points that I can chime in and demonstrate that I can provide value to that person. If they're really angry or upset, then I figure out how can I change the dynamics of their mood, their tone. And sometimes you can't win that battle, but a lot of times you can. You can just be open with them and just start with a more personal conversation. So to me, it's really about reading the room, understanding who the person is on the other side of the table, and don't take a one-size-fits-all approach because taking that one-size-fits-all approach, you're going to hit this wall and people are just not going to resonate with you. They're not going to connect with you. Mm. And I think that one of the ways that because I take this approach of really reading the room and understanding the, the person on the other side of the table, I earn a lot of trust and credibility in a very short period of time because I'm just trying to communicate with this person and understand this person in the way that works for them. So when you come into those situations, do you have anything prepared at all? Or is it just kind of maybe a rough outline of where you want to kind of take the conversation and then you cater that to the surroundings? Or is it really just like, no, I'm coming in cold. I know all my stuff. Like I'm confident in my ability to adapt to the situation. It depends on the meeting because sometimes you're thrown into meetings last minute where you don't get any information and you're just like, I want you to meet this person. I'm trying to think of a good example because there was one really good example. So the perfect situation is I was meeting with the CEO of Amblin Entertainment, who, which is Steven Spielberg's company. Okay. And a partner of mine set up the meeting. We both sat down. He said, I don't know what we're meeting about. And I said, I don't know what we're meeting about. And just through that process of understanding who this person was and asking them very specific questions, I was able to discern how I could provide value, what their specific goals and objectives were. And I quickly was able to turn that meeting into a very successful meeting. And we were done in 20 minutes because I knew exactly how to take that conversation from none of us having knowledge to both of us really understanding each other and how we can work together simply by asking very specific strategic questions. Now, there's other meetings where I want to get more information about who these people are and what they're trying to achieve so that I can just brainstorm a little bit. If it's kind of being thrown into a situation like working with a nanotechnology company, I've never worked with a nanotechnology company before. So understanding the core aspects of the business so that I can go in with a base level idea. But at this point in my career, I've just learned that going in with a very stock presentation, a deck, or a very specific idea on how you want to approach the meeting generally can fall flat because I think it just puts you in this tunnel vision instead mm -hmm. of really exploring the opportunities and ask questions and figuring things out 
by the responses that you're getting from the person on the other side of the table. Because it's one thing to read something about somebody or see them on television or just hear things about them. It's another thing to actually sit face to face with somebody and really dive in to understand who they are and what they're trying to achieve and, and why they actually wanted to take that meeting with you. What are some examples of those strategic questions that you ask in those situations? So one of the first, well, I wouldn't say the first question. First off, I start the meeting with very personal approach of just saying, hey, where are you from? Like, what are you about? Like, just trying to understand who they are on a personal level. Because just on that response, you'll learn about how they view the world, how they perceive the world. And then you can tailor specific questions or even answers in that way. And then I really dive in as like, from that response is like, who is this person? What are your goals and objectives? Whether that's business, personal, why are they trying to achieve these things? What do they see success look like? Like, are there specific metrics that are looking at? There's specific revenue goals or specific growth goals so that I can understand how they're perceiving not just the world, but how they're perceiving their business situation and what they're trying to achieve. And also what are the pain points in achieving those specific goals or those specific things that they're trying to achieve overall in their business. Because then when I understand the pain points and the goals, I can speak to the value proposition that we can provide to ease those pain points and allow them to get to that level that they're trying to reach in a very short period of time. Hmm. Is there a skill set that you have, maybe not mastered, but something that you are very confident in your ability to accomplish that you would say that you would owe a lot of the success that you've had to? And if so, what would that be? And do you recommend everybody learn this particular skill set? Or is it just kind of something that it's a strength of yours and it comes naturally? How does that look for you? I think there's two things that I've learned over the course of my career that has helped me be successful. And I think a lot of people can take away from that. The first thing is really understanding who you are and the value that you can provide to other people. Because again, it's taking that approach of what am I best at? What do I really have to offer somebody? And then building a compelling story around that, that you can convey to other people. Hmm. Second way that I think that I've had a tremendous amount of success is that I'm able to distill things down into its simplest form. So especially when you're talking about technology or digital or anything that's a little bit grandiose or there's complex elements of it is how you, you can distill it down into its simplest form. So the person on the other side of the table can really understand what you're talking about. Hmm. Interesting. So self-awareness, really the first one. The second one really has to do a lot with getting people to understand things, maybe getting people to see your perspective. Would you put that under maybe like a persuasion category or a sales category? Or do you think that's like totally by itself independent? Well, to me, I look at sales is not really persuading people or trying to sell them on something. To me, it's how do you provide as much value and through that value, you earn trust and credibility with the other person on the other side of the table. Because anybody that's looking to hire somebody, either that's within an organization or hired agency or consultant or whatever it may be, they're asking themselves, can I really trust this person? Is what this person's saying makes sense? Does it feel good to me? And if it does, then they're willing to take that next approach. If you don't have the ability to build trust or credibility in that room, you're not going to win the business. I don't care how smart you are. It's like everything comes down to trust. And through trust can be built through authenticity, through value. So I think that that has provided a lot of success in my career in approaching it that way. Does the ability to tell stories or illustrate points with you know different metaphors and stuff like that, does that come into play when you're trying to break down these complex issues and make it just as simple as possible? Yeah, stories are the key to 
working a room, working a meeting, is if you can tell something in a story for people, they can really wrap their heads around it. Because everybody, since their earliest days of being a child, have been told stories. We view the world through stories. So if you're going into a high-profile meeting, you're trying to close a big deal, what is a compelling story that you can convey about yourself, your products, your services, or the value that you can provide to other people? Because that will really draw people in. They'll want to hear the whole story. They'll want to hear the beginning, the middle, and the end. We've been trained over years to consume content, consume messages in that way. And that's another reason I think decks fail or standard presentations is it takes you out of that storytelling mode and gets into this more formulaic process of here's deck one, slide one, here's slide two. And like, so that's the way that I look at that. Gets you more relationship building and storytelling instead of presenting information in a boring manner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might view it as good information, but... A good exercise is just go watch TED Talks. Is nobody yeah, walks perfect. on a TED stage without going through intense training. And a lot of the TED Talks are story-based. Yeah. Yeah. It's really the basis of kind of selling on logic versus selling on emotion. Everybody buys on emotion. Nobody buys on logic. We use logic to justify a purchase to help us make more sense in our heads, but we buy on emotion and stories are what evoke emotion ultimately. So I love that that is definitely something that you stand for. Is that a skill set that you really worked on a lot? Did it kind of come naturally to you? Was it a combination? I think it was a combination. I think that there was a natural component, but I worked at it. Like being an entrepreneur, you live and die by the meetings you have every day. Hmm, and then yeah. people every single day. And it's right. like, glad, well, 10,000 hours is you got to go out and meet people. You got to connect with people. You got to understand how to make that connection, understand how they're emotionally responding to your message or you, to you as an individual and keep doing that process over and over again. And it should be fun for you. Like just go and meet somebody and understand, learn something from them. And by doing that process over and over again, that's where you get really good fostering connections with people at all levels from from the lowest level all the way up to the highest level it's just getting into that practice of being curious i think that that's one of the elements that people fail in business or fail in connecting is be curious be interested in this other person if you're not curious or interested in the other person on the other side of the table from you they're going to sense that they're going to sense that the conversation is all about you and not about them people yeah. love to talk about themselves mm-hmm. talk if you just talk 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 and not listen you're just going to put up a wall between you and the other person. And if you just listen, 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 and then ask questions as you're going in that process, you're going to forge this strong connection. And people are going to walk away from a meeting with you and be like, wow, that person really understands me. That person really gets me. Or I really trust that person. Just by being curious, just by asking questions and stopping to actually listen to the answer that they're providing you. Yeah. Uh, well, that's just a fantastic place to stop there. I, I had one more question, but I really like the way that that ended up. So let's go ahead and move on to something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yep. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I would say an astronaut, although I'm very claustrophobic, so I don't know if I could. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it'd be very cool to go into space. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It seemed, <laughs> seemed, seemed kind of ironic. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, if I, I, I want to be a skydiver, but I'm scared of heights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid of great white sharks, but I want to go swim with great white sharks. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present, talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I would say probably Steve Jobs, because I think he's probably one of the greatest visionaries of our time in terms of how he saw the world, how he saw building products or services. 
And I think one of the amazing things that he said is he didn't believe in market research. He said that you need to tell people what they want, not ask them what they want. And he was probably the best of our time in doing that. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? If it's learning, I love to consume content in person and asking people questions. That's how I learn most of my content. If it's entertainment, movies, television, podcasts, I'm not an avid reader. I can't sit down and read a full book. I need to actually be able to, if I'm going to learn something, I need to be able to interact with it. I need to be able to ask questions and, and dive deeper. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. So generally up by like six or seven, meditate for an hour, dive into emails and then from emails to calls. And then I don't probably eat until like 12 or one generally each day. And then I go back into meetings or calls and I try and wrap up by like six or seven and fit in some type of exercise between lunch and dinner. What is your go-to pump-up song? That's a tough question. It changes. <laughs> I just watched the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. So I'm listening to uh, the stuff right now. That makes sense. What is something that you are just not very good at? I'm not good at managing people. I'm not the type of person that is going to be the CEO of a big company. I am the best at being the outside strategic advisor and coming up with strategic solutions for other people's businesses. And I just learned that trying to build businesses over the years. Love it, man. What is one place as we get everything wrapped up online where we will find you the most? Yeah, I mean, it's to get a hold of me. You can direct message me on Instagram at Brendan Kane. You can email me. My email is B as in boy at S E A K E R S dot com. So that's B at seekers.com with seekers spelled S E A. Those are the two best platforms to get a hold of me, or you can visit 1 million followers as well.com. Perfect. Perfect. So at Brendan Kane, that's Brendan, B R E N D A N, Kane on Instagram. Head over there. Make sure to screenshot this episode if you're listening right now. Screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story and tag me, Travis, at Travis Chapel, and Brendan at Brendan Kane. And uh, we'll be sure to go over to those DMs and say what's up. And then you can head over to 1 million followers.com to pick up a copy of Brendan's new book, 1 million followers. And I'm sure that you will not regret doing that. Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the show today, brother. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show because they're literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is something that you are interested in at all, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you'd be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Dynasty. Just head over to buildyournetwork.co slash dynasty to fill out an application and we'll talk soon. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.